What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast, episode number 203. As always, I'm your host, Bailey Eichbrett, and joined with me is the captain, Mr. Andy Full. What's going on, dude? Not a whole lot. I just noticed that I think we're wearing the same colored shirt. Yeah, but I think yours is the, um, the what, Samurai, right? Yeah, it's got like the built-in hood. Yeah. So, yeah. I needed that today. It got, dude, it's that time of year in the Northeast where it is 26 degrees when you launch. And by the time you get off, you're sweating balls when it's like 65, 72 degrees, like sunny bacon. You're just dying. Yeah. You got to bring change of clothes. It's because it's just that time of year. It sucks. But not arguing because the fish are loving it and they're eating about everything that comes by their face. Yep. Oh, can't argue at all. I had a very good day today. Almost touched 26 pounds for the first time in 2021. Had 25.97. That comes out to 25 pounds, 15 ounces. So literally almost touched it. Heck but yeah. No no mega giants, but a bag all of five pounders and can't argue with it. So it was lights on as soon as I got there and left them biting. So Was that like your second or third biggest like weight bag from the kayak fun fishing? It's up there. Uh, I've had um, – I've had a few 26s. I had one almost touch 27, um, and I don't even know how many I have in the 25s. But either way, I mean, it can't, it can't like, downplay a 25-pound bag. But either way, it was an absolute blast. It was a riot. Um, dude, I caught probably 50 fish, and two of them were green. The rest were all brown. Uh, and I've talked to you about this before. It's kind of weird compared to the last few years. And like you had reinforced in me, today is that every year is different it's just so weird to kind of see when there's something new because there's so many different variables going throughout your head it's like especially in new york i mean we have some lakes that are notorious for fish kills and yeah it just scares you sometimes if some if some fish are behind and slowly there's more coming and it's kind of good to see but it's like it still kind of worries you and it's in the back of your mind every now and then yeah either way it's bonkers right now. Things are setting up right, and uh, all is right in the world again. We don't have any more ice, and uh, it's fine. Yeah, we're, we're starting to jack. Dude, I'm excited for next week. We're going to get to fish a couple times. It's going to be yeah. fun. Dude, we haven't been in a boat together since, what, Niagara River last year for the dirt? Honey oil in the fall. Oh, right. <laughs> See, I try to forget about that day. And then we went the next day, Canisius, and you caught two, and I broke off a tiger muskie or something. They draft right off. So yeah. had that glide fish in like late November. That was sick. But either way, we have a uh, very fun episode tonight. We have Mr. Adam Riser on. We'll be talking about a bunch of different things pertaining to kayak fishing and, and smallmouth down in Tennessee. And uh, as always with this show, it, we pride ourselves on our tangents and rabbit holes that we go down. Uh, so it's going to be a pretty fun episode tonight. And I think without further ado, Andrew. Mr. Adam Reiser, what's going on, dude? Howdy, howdy. Thanks for having me on, y'all. I was listening to the the 200th episode uh, while I was loading up the truck today and enjoying that one. That sounded like an extra fun one. So congrats on you guys for knocking out 200 episodes. That's no joke. uh, We've been grinding, man. But yeah, 200 is probably, honestly, 200 was fun, but it's probably the worst episode to like introduce someone to the show to because like talk about complete and utter unorganized and just chaos. 
Yeah. Was- <laughs> That's the idea with that one, right? Is to not have to worry about all the stresses of, you know, keeping it quote professional and all that. And like, I've, I've happily cherry picked you guys podcast for a long while now. So uh, yeah, I've been happy to be with you guys. Yeah, of course, dude. We're happy to have you on here and real quick. we pride ourselves. You, you mentioned that keeping things professional. We pride ourselves on being unprofessionally professional where oh, it's yeah. like, it might look kind of clean, but like how it's run is not clean whatsoever. <laughs> hey, that's my style too. Perfect. Even Perfect. that may be a stretch. <laughs> Yeah. Well, dude, before we get too deep into the show, uh, for us, because I know I know we've chatted a little bit here you know, over social media in the past few weeks. Um, obviously kept tabs like watching you through social media for the past year, kind of you know, seeing your tournaments and uh, obviously your fishing stuff. And um, but I don't I haven't really got the chance to actually learn about you. So for myself, for Andrew and for the folks tuning in, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started fishing in the first place and who installed that passion in you? And sure. Then- um, so, so I live in Nashville, Tennessee now, but I grew up in Florence, Alabama. So I had Pickwick Lake and Wilson Lake as, as basically my my backyard waters. And a uh, common story, you know, the catfish ponds, like like a lot of people do, bobber fishing growing up. Uh, but luckily, you could just walk the banks of the Tennessee River uh, where I grew up and catch all kinds of species. Uh, you could just kind of show up, not know what you're doing, and catch something. So... Uh, I was always brought up around camping and just uh, fishing wherever you're around water. So I, I think I gained a, an interest and appreciation at, at a pretty young age. And at 21, I moved out to Southern California in Orange County, Huntington Beach. And uh, I, I took up surfing. Surfing was a big part of my life for many years. Then I had a back injury that took me away from surfing. But I still, while I was rehabbing that injury, wanted to be around water, needed to be outside started bank fishing some of the local Orange County ponds and uh, met a guy there that was basically starting at the same uh, uh, spot that I was as far as his, his learning curve and everything. And uh, he ended up having a, a tandem kayak. So we ended up taking those kayaks to some ponds and uh, places where we were like, man, we wish we could always cast over to those clump of reeds or something. And uh, so I guess this was around 2011, 20. Yeah, 2010, 2011, I started hopping in a kayak in Southern California. Fishing is much more challenging out there as far as accessibility more than anything. Um, so I got into a lot of ninja fishing, a lot of backpacking, a lot of like hopping fences at night and doing some some night fishing and enjoyed that. But uh, got my first dabble in like in like uh, interest in, in actual bass fishing, not just whatever fishing out in Southern California. And I think around 2013, I knew I had to uh moved back to the southeast to florence alabama for a few years and uh i knew i was going to be around great fishing and uh picked up a kayak as soon as i got back uh to alabama and just got a a fast forwarded education on bass fishing in my opinion because pickwick's such a an incredible place and you can learn so much all kinds of different techniques that whatever you want to do you can do it there so i attribute pickwick to a lot of my uh, whatever knowledge I have, I credit that lake to that. And then around, uh, I don't know, 2015 or so, I moved up to the Nashville area, uh, found out that there was uh, kayak clubs and stuff. Craig Dye and a few other people were running the club around here. So I owe a lot to Craig Dye as far as uh, ushering me into uh, the kayak community and the kayak bass fishing community. And then Nashville, as a lot of people know, is just an overall hub for kayak fishing. Uh, 
between Hook One Outfitters that used to be here and Chad Hoover kind of uh, putting his roots down here. It was just one, and it's an incredible place for kayak fishing. And so um, the opportunities, be it like just fun fishing or in clubs were very prevalent here. Uh, and after just maybe a year of, of club fishing, I was all in, man. I just wanted to take it further. It, it just did a lot of good for me. Um, I mean, that's been it for the last like five or six years. It's if I can fish a, a KBF event and then it turned into a, a Hobie event. Now it's a Bass Nation event. Now it's whatever I can get into. And uh, uh, I'm passionate about bass fishing from a kayak and just fishing in general to an unhealthy degree. It, uh, it, I neglect responsibilities in my life to, to go out and uh, chase green and brown fish is what I find. So that, that's the short story of it, man. So I've kind of got roots in, in the South, but also I take a lot of my education on fishing from West Coast stuff too, because I, I got to see a lot of uh, stuff they do out there that's different and their, their concepts are different, but uh, that's it, man. I, I just love bass fishing and, and it's pure. It's a pretty pure bass fishing thing too. I can't really claim that I do much else aside from that. Yeah, it's a healthily unhealthy addiction. I think is probably one of the better ways to put it. But I, per, real quick, I loved how you called bank fishing ninja fishing. I think that adds a level of a level of badassery to fishing from the bank. <laughs> I've never heard it called. Well, when you have a pond that like is you know confirmed has good fish in it, but you're not legally supposed to be in there. You may or may not acquire some bolt cutters, and you may or may not like you know go in there at midnight where. Uh, you have access to the place. And if I don't know if you're a fish out in California or Southern California, but man, like uh, an average lake out there, you have to, if say if you're launching a boat, you got to show up, you got to hop in line with a bunch of other boats and trailers. They got to inspect your whole thing. You can only, you, you get to launch after the, the prime morning bite. Usually you got to pay to do it. You got to be off the water before the evening bite happens. It's just such a pain to do it. Um, it's why you got so many West Coast guys that are so good because their their adversity just to get out and cast a line uh, is a lot more than what uh, a, a lot of people are used to in other parts of the country. So, uh, again, you can just learn a lot just from the adversity you got to fish around out there, too. But, yeah, definitely stuffed the backpack with some uh, tackle boxes, wore all black or camo and uh, hopped a few fences. The golf courses are really good out there, too. And uh, you got to get a little sneaky, but it's all worth it. Heck yeah, you, dude, talking about paying to use ramps like New York's like that too, that is one of the one of the many reasons why I love being in Tennessee is not having to pay for a boat ramp unless obviously like campgrounds or something like that might have like a $5 fee. But for the most part, every ramp is free. There's a few, but you know, dude, where I grew up, you it was the, the TVA fisheries. Not only can you just launch whenever you want, like every day of the year, you can literally camp on a, a lot of these like pull off areas too, like for free league. I mean, it's not like you got any kind of hookup or anything, but yeah, it's pretty wide open. Uh, that, you know, last year when they were restricting people going on the water, I was like, man, if they try to restrict people down here from going on the water, they're going to run into an uprising. Cause that is not what they're used to at all. You know, <laughs> Very spoiled with uh, our accessibility from lakes creeks rivers highland reservoirs muddy you know lowland stuff we got it all here and you can kind of just every day hit a completely different place and um you know it's 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 why so many good anglers come from out of the southeast because they get education of all types of fishing it's all here yeah awesome. found out now uh 
What was your first memorable experience fishing a tournament from a kayak? My very first tournament, it was with KBFTN, the club uh, here in Nashville. Um, I was nervous. My goal for it was to just not uh, have any penalties, not like get DQ'd for anything. That was my goal. And I think I placed fourth and got paid. So I got a check in my first tournament. And that right there gave me the confidence to go at it, you know, more tournaments beyond that. So, yeah, just that first one. Um, I, I remember it. I have an awful memory, but I remember that tournament distinctly, uh, catching a, my first couple of fish on a drop shot and thinking, like, wait, this is all it takes to get paid in a, in a club tournament. And, You're like, I uh, can do this. That was it. Yeah, totally. And, you know, and I didn't know if I could do it. And I didn't know if I, what I was doing was right. And I had no compete. Like, when, when I was getting into kite fishing in Alabama, I was around no other kayak anglers. I went out by myself every single time. So I didn't know to what level my, my skill set was at at the time. And so being able to come to the Nashville area and hop around and get into some, some events um, allowed me to see kind of like what the level of competition was at the time, you know? Right. Yeah. Now you recently had a Durban Pickwick, correct? Indeed, yeah, I did uh, the KBF tournaments, the, the two separate days, but under uh, I identical, uh, uh, not conditions, but the same terms on a Saturday and Sunday, correct? Right, yeah. How did that end up going for you? I just did okay. I was like in the top 25% or so, something like that. Just all right. Um, I knew that literally that week of the year can be one of the absolute best weeks possible. I think a lot of the bass fishing community watched the elite event that was the week before ours there. And the story was the, the rising water, you know, Pickwick fluctuates six foot between their winter and summer pool. And it fluctuated the entire way in a matter of a couple of days coming from low to high. And it went above the full pool and coming back down and Pickwick when you're creeping up on the spawn, if you can catch it when it's stable or especially when it's full pool, it's hard to beat that. Some of the best bags I've caught in my life have been during that time. Um, our tournament, we were allowed to fish Wilson and Wheeler too, which that's over 200 miles of river, not including any of the creeks at all. Um, and Wilson and, and Wheeler, they only fluctuate maybe two foot in their winter pool, so they're more stable. Um, I tried fishing a little bit of Pickwick uh, the first day of the tournament. Only was on it for about an hour before I packed up and went to Wilson. And I ended up spending not only the, the rest of uh, Saturday on Wilson, but I did the entirety of Sunday on Wilson, too. Caught him all right. I think I got 11th place out of 80-something or something, maybe 70-something on, on Saturday off a patch of grass, which we'll talk about that in a second. And then on Sunday, went to the same place. And uh, there was only one other angler at my ramp that Sunday morning, and uh, that was Eric Collins, the guy who ended up winning on Sunday. And he knocked on my, my, my truck door before I launched that morning, and he was like, hey, I saw you were fishing that patch of grass yesterday. And he was like, I was wanting to start there too. I was like, go for it, man. He was like, I'm going to hit it too. But I was like, I appreciate you asking and uh, the good communication. I was like, go for it. And then uh, he and I probably rotated that grass four or five times that day. He just caught it right at noon when those big ones pulled up, and he got the winning bag off of that patch of grass that I'd fished since I was a kid. Uh, so I thought that was kind of cool, and that dude was really, really nice and a really good guy, best I could tell. So I was happy that Eric won that one. But that was it. It was cool just being around back home, around waters I was familiar with. But uh, ended up fishing Wilson, but I, under normal conditions, it'd be hard to pull me away from Pickwick. I really, really uh, love Pickwick as a fishery. Yeah. 
I have a, I have a few questions about it. Uh, well, the first thing is Wilson is usually the most consistent with water level, correct? That's the one they usually try to keep at the same pool. Yeah, it won't change that much. You know, uh, a water rising three or four inches on Wilson is a big deal. Whereas if it comes, you know, three or four inches on Pickwick, that's nothing. You know, like you don't have, you don't got to sweat that too much. So, uh, yeah, Wilson's pretty stable. Uh, Wheeler's pretty stable. Like if you go up to Chickamauga, it's got what a four or six foot fluctuation. Kentucky Lake's got a four, or got a, a six foot fluctuation between winter and summer pool. So, yeah, Wilson, Wilson more stable, and you can always kind of show up and cast at the same targets. You don't have to worry about them being completely out of water or anything like that. Right. Interesting. Less so, launches though. It's a, it's a tougher kayak lake because you don't have as many uh, places to access. Um, but the tail race is excellent on that one as well. Uh, Wilson's good. Wilson's really good. I, I think people would still like to go fish Pickwick or uh, Wheeler. Wheeler's coming back in a strong way, but and there's plenty of good fishing on Wilson for sure. And well, Wheeler's more of a greenhead fishery, isn't it, than it is a smallmouth? Very much so. In the last six or seven years, we were all talking about it at our house at Pickwick uh, a week or so ago. Um, they sprayed all the grass uh, for the last several years, and, and uh, Wilson really took a downturn. And then uh, it's my understanding, I haven't seen it in person, but based on uh, my buddies that were all fishing it during practice and before the event, apparently that grass is back. Um, you know, Wheeler's firing now, like really good. It's looking kind of like it's a heyday uh, going back a decade or more ago. So I think you're going to hear a lot more hype and uh, a lot more uh, good talk about Wheeler as long as they uh, don't spray that grass on the Decatur Flats, which is kind of one of the more, more uh, notable uh, popular fishing areas there. I had heard about them spraying the grass there, and it was kind of weird for me because I feel like you guys, at least from a, a governing standpoint, take bass fishing much more serious because like up here in New York, they could give a damn about the bass. They don't care at all. They spray a lot of our lakes. That's why I was very shocked to see that yeah, they spray grass down there. They spray it pretty hard, man. I've seen, I can't think of a TVA, a Tennessee River fishery that hasn't got sprayed. And that includes even more TVA fisheries too, outside of the Tennessee River chain. I mean, it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, Kentucky Lake, you can say it's the carp that's hurt that place. And, and the carp definitely does hurt it. But I think more than the carp, my personal opinion is them getting rid of all that grass on Kentucky Lake hurts. Morning. I mean, if, if you ever fished a lake that's like a grass fishery, it has like a lot of hydro, a lot of healthy grass. It's usually got some good fish in there, like all the time, and, and you get rid of that grass, and it's it's detrimental to uh, the biology in, in that place. And so I think that really is the main issue. Um, sometimes they'll spray just parts of it. You know, it's it's not. I don't know who's doing it. It's it's TVA that's spraying it, but they're spraying it. I think just for boat lanes or for boats to commute, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's the only reason. Um, I don't think there's anything beyond that, but. I mean, you want to talk about places that like take care of their fisheries. I think Texas is the ones you got to look at that want to be like, hey, how can we, you know, take a page out of their book and make our place healthy and, and, and attract a lot of uh, fishing tourism? You got to look at Texas, man, letting those fish go right after you catch them. And they do it right down there. That's for sure. Yeah. I think Andy, I think you and I were talking about this a little while ago is that if New York had, you know, if, if more than just New York, if, if multiple states had, like a, a Texas fish and wildlife, the way that they operated, you'd see world-class fisheries. 
it'd yep. be insane. Absolutely yep. insane with the things that you could do with some of the, at least these northern fisheries too, the way they kind of they operate and actually really truly care for their fish. The only thing that they care about up here is walleye or trout. And that's usually about it. And uh, recreational okay. boaters. The what's that? And recreational boaters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's all that money is, and it sucks to see it. It really does. Yes, that's but, the truth. It's the truth, though. So fishing the TVA, obviously, you know, if you're fishing, I don't know if you're a main river guy, if you like to just, you know, pick creeks to go in. I don't know how you kind of operate what you like to do. But I know, obviously, if you're more of a main river guy, obviously, there's a lot more current involved. And I'm very oh, yeah. curious on and, – and I've only fished Chickamauga from the kayak. And fished main river a little bit. Didn't really – obviously, there's not a lot of current um, pumping through Chickamauga when you fish more south. Um, sure. But something like a Pickwick, after what we've seen at the Elite event, how are you going about fishing that in terms of – are you launching somewhere and coming back to that launch or are you kind of doing almost essentially like a float? You can do any or all of it. And I had buddies that did all different versions of that. Uh, and, and there's not really a bad decision on, on any, on any of those things, especially in our, our tournament that we just had where motors were eligible. That was a, a big, I did I wasn't running a motor for that event, but uh, the people that were running one, it was the difference between them being able to access a lot of that tail race, a lot of that current water, especially since it was extra, extra uh, pumping uh, these past few weeks with all the rain that we had. Even when it's at its normal flow, it's something that you have to be extra cautious about. And every boater is going to look at you like you're crazy if you're in a kayak going out there and doing it. But uh, if you're a true river rat, you know how to hold your own out there. Um yeah, it's no joke. It, it really does make the difference on those those Tennessee River fisheries. Uh, obviously, you can catch them fine without it. But, I mean, you go back over the years and look at so many of the big tournaments that have happened and how many of them, especially when you think of, like, true ledge season, like, you know, June, July, around that time, those, those tournaments get won around, like, 2.30 or in the last few hours of the tournament when they turn those uh, generators on and start pulling that water through and those fish start biting and, and you can be sitting on a school of a couple hundred fish out there on, uh, on any of these fisheries and not have them biting. But as soon as they get that current going, it makes all the difference in the world. But uh, it kind of makes it fun for us kayakers to not have to worry about that current sometimes and go explore the backwaters too. And all, all these uh, Tennessee River places have no shortage of uh, incredible backwaters. They're more of a seasonal thing when they really shine. Uh, but you can do it all. That's why it's some of the best fisheries because you can do whatever you want to do. If you want to go out there and, and uh, ledge fish out in, the, out in the middle of the, the lake, you're good to go on that. You're going to catch a bunch of fish and catch some big ones. But there's no shortage of uh, big ones sneaking around in the, in the backwaters, too, that uh, many of them, uh, I'm convinced, have never even seen a lure before. So uh, it's, it's whatever you want to do out there. And I like doing a little bit of all of it, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. You, you bring up the motors and that's something that I was really thinking about as well was and that for that tournament specifically, how much of an advantage you you have if you have a motor, especially being in that current. Because, I mean, granted, just staying in position, but also thinking about how many more casts those people probably had sitting on an area. Oh, yeah. Worrying about adjusting depending on what you got. I mean, even if you have 360, granted, 360 could be efficient in that. But you're still, you know, wasting time, obviously trying to maneuver yourself, you know, fix yourself sure. when you're losing casts. 
or or losing an efficient position of how you're going to present it. That's a yeah. It's having those motors for more than anything. It's just a peace of mind, like in in that tail race current, where you know you don't have to have your head on a swivel constantly in case you drift out of that current seam, you know, into the swift stuff. So I think the the people with the the spot locking motors would probably benefit the most from that. Um, I, I did practice one day in the tail race and I've got a Hobie uh, PA 12, 360 mm -hmm. and uh, I've got a Torquedo. It's just not on that boat yet. Cause I haven't had that Hobie for too long. Um, but I did get the Hobie out in the tail race uh, below Wheeler dam. So that would technically be Wilson Lake, but below Wheeler dam. And uh, I barely made it out there uh, into a protected eddy. Um, and it was work and it wasn't even on the, the peak of the, the, the current days for the week we were down there. Um, so in my opinion, if you're really going to attack that tail race stuff hard and get up in the, in the, the gnarly current, you just about have to have a motor or else you're asking for a, a disaster at some point there. And it's something that, you know, for anyone listening or anyone, you know, wanting to go down there. And I know a lot of people were after watching that elite event too, and seeing all the excitement in, in the current. You, you really got to be careful. I was telling all my buddies that were gung ho on getting in that current. I was like, you know, good on you. And you, there's, there's a thousand winning limits there every day of the year. So I get it, but you got to be careful, man. It, it's not for just a, an amateur to go out there and give it a shot. You'll end up in the water in a hurry or worse. So, mm -hmm. uh, but it's, it's famous for a reason that I, I was telling people, I was like the, the TVA till race here, here's your pros and cons, the cons, uh, you snag a lot. The bycatch is terrible. It's crowded. Uh, it's dependent on uh, how much current they pull. Uh, it's it's not those fish are tough to land, especially those big smallmouth. But here's the pro: there's a, a thousand winning limits there every day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're they're there. They're always there. So that's why it's a fun gamble to see like uh, what's what's going to win a. A Tennessee River tournament, you know, fish out of the current or going down river and some backwater. It's always interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at the elite event, the, the boats that were up there that were somewhat relatively struggling to stay in their spot, too. It was it was interesting to watch. But yeah, I was white knuckling just watching some of that stuff. Steve Kennedy, like I was like, I'm about to watch Steve Kennedy is one of my favorite anglers. Absolutely. One of my favorite anglers. I'm like, I'm about to watch my, one of my favorite guys go in the water. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I there was a couple times when he was trying to sit in that small little eddy by that boulder he was fishing, and he would tap the trolling motor. He'd almost go flying in the other way. Oh, yeah, because he rocked right under his boat. Sketchy. Super sketchy. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> But nonetheless, like, obviously, it's that was eventful, so it was fun to watch. But um, so if you don't have a motor, say you, you take the tail race out of the fact, um, because obviously that's its own – niche of, of of a fishing situation but current in general that's moving at a decent pace let's say one mile an hour something that obviously if you stop pedaling if you don't have a motor is going to actually push you a decent ways say you catch a fish in that say you, you know, take your 360 for example you're staying in that current efficiently you catch one you got to put it on the board do you have a process of do you kind of just let the river push you along and you'll make your way back up? Or do you kind of have a process of not drifting too far out of your position and also getting that thing on the board and in, in good time? On the, on the Tennessee river, I can't, I mean, you always want to know what's behind you. If you do drift, like strainers are the biggest thing you got to watch for. That's not really so much of an issue if you're fishing Tennessee river. 
it's more when we fish our smaller rivers and creeks that are all the moving waters here, especially in Middle Tennessee, which has no shortage of those. That those narrower ones um, that are just chock full of smallmouth, those are the ones that have the the strainers and things that can put you out of your boat in a hurry. Um, I am way more aware of my surroundings on on those floats when I hook one, and you know, I, I may be I may be in a small creek where I can cast from one bank to the other no problem at all. But those are the ones where you can dump all your stuff and you're doing a true river float and you're not going to be able to recover your stuff easily. So uh, it's more actually the smaller moving waters that uh, I, I'm watching out for anything that could be an obstacle, but basically just watch behind you. Like if you do catch that fish and like in the kayak tournaments, we got to get that clean photo on the measuring board there. And if you don't got a spotlight motor, you're going with the water for that time being. Uh, so I, you just got to make a note of what's down river from you that you could drift into. And if, and if you can slide off into an eddy or maybe hug the bank or, you know, get one foot up on the bank if that's legal in your tournament. That way you can safely score that fish before you get back into the the, the fast water again. I, I think most guys, especially in middle Tennessee, uh, probably have got a lot of experience doing that kind of thing, trying to score a fish in the moving water because that's, that's something we're used to here. It's a really good point. Yeah. Now, mm. talking about Tennessee smallmouth a little bit here. It seems like they predominantly obviously show up, and, it, and obviously it makes sense that it's in current situations, but have you found those fish to do anything out of the ordinary or kind of gotten on a deal where it's not a current situation, or is it basically you're only going to find those brown fish if there's moving water? The, 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 the times that I can think of when it's not really current related is in the winter time. It's when, it's when I dig not my teeth out. We were talking about it off air a little bit earlier. Um, we like to float a few of these rivers here in the winter uh, because the, the main river or creek that we're floating will be one temperature. But then the, the feeder creeks coming in, if you catch it after a warm rain, will have that drastic temperature change. And so all those main river fish or maybe if they're in a wintering hole in like a deep pocket or something, they'll go as any fish would. They'll appreciate that warmer water while it's there. And uh, so it's not uncommon for us in the winter to do a river float, not even fish the main river and just literally drift from feeder creek to feeder creek because that's where they congregate is at the mouth of that, usually right where the main river water mixes with the, the uh, other water that's gonna be warmer. It's not a guarantee that it's there, but for sure some of the bigger and best days we've had in the middle of winter when typically hopping on the lake or uh, the you know fishing can get really slow that time of year. That's been one of our uh, favorite times to go out in the dead of winter and you can have uh, big numbers days and uh, big size days as well. But those feeder creeks are usually the ticket during that time. And they're easy to find. You'll see like there's there's a visual distinction between the water color uh, th that's usually there. But if you if you're running your graph, you can see that the bigger uh, temperature difference, usually the better the bite because the more the fish are drawn into that warmer water. They're usually in there somewhere and usually pretty uh, happy to eat. And uh, it's all species too. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew, it's interesting to try to compare Southern smallmouth versus Northern smallmouth because they act in such different ways. Yeah. I mean, I don't have much experience with Southern smallmouth. Like I have a lot of experience with smallmouth being current. So, and it's relatively similar when it comes to them with, 
current fish because they're always seeking, like in the spring, when they're always seeking that slightly warmer water temp. And it's pretty easy to figure out where they're going to be. They're going to be close to structure that heats up quicker than something else or a drain that's coming sure. in that's slightly warmer or slightly cooler if it's the summer. So, I mean, there's other than that, I mean, current is current when it comes to smallmouth. They're always in Oh, Agreed. <laughs> so, because yeah. it's an easy ambush point for them, especially if you have current with rock, they can just get all nice and lazy, sit behind that rock, and wait for that food to come to them. And they don't have to move much or exert even that much energy. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you guys would be able to show up here and do just fine. Yeah, I think maybe just a couple different lure consideration changes may be the only thing. But as <laughs> yeah, far yeah. as like the like you know, oh, a fish should be right there. They're going to be there the same as you guys would experience up north as you would down here. It's the same thing. Yeah, yeah, we it's very similar, you know, like Andrew has the Niagara River and you know St. Louis, we have a St. Lawrence River up here as well. And we have some small creeks that are kind of um that do have smallmouth in it and that are obviously very it current simplifies things, that's for sure. And and, it does. and I think Andrew, I think you can agree that there is current at play even for those deep Great Lakes fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's current at play for that too, and it's obviously just a completely different scenario. But you make you make the point of different bait selections and it's, we are not going to throw a three quarter ounce swim bait head in a six inch paddle tail for our small mouth up here. I mean, I'm sure you, they'll eat it, but like we're throwing small football jigs and net rigs and drop shots. And you guys are throwing, you know, giant paddle. Does, does, our brown fish are built different. You guys have those, yeah. the, your small mouth have literal smaller mouths. They're more mm-hmm. football fish. Whereas down here, ours lean out more. They're typically not as fat. They're longer. They have bigger mouths. They're used to living their whole lives like in moving water. Um, so it's a different thing. And like, I, I don't really get into the whole debate of oh, which one fights hard. It's a smallmouth. They're good. they're going to give you a good ride no matter what it is or where it is you hook into one. And the more um, but the, they fight. Oh, it's you almost hate the current once you're hooked up because if they get into that stuff, I mean, you guys saw it on that Pickwick Elite event. Like that's it's really tough to land those things if they get out into that moving water. It's it's, it's tough to land them in, in calm water. So I'm gonna make it a battle. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And it brings up an interesting point though, which we actually I had a long time ago. I created a smallmouth panel. And I had on uh, two buddies of mine, Alex Rudd and Caleb Bell, who are from Tennessee, official out of the TVA. And one of the topics we brought up, and I'm very curious to get your take on this, being that you're from the same area. Um, And I believe Alex might have even looked into this or is looking into this with a fishing biologist or a a fish biologist. Um, Is is that you take a smallmouth out of the TVA and a smallmouth out of the Great Lakes and see – if that's a completely different species of smallmouth. I'd be curious to hear any information on that. I know that it is way more common for uh, our smallmouth here to hybridize, especially with the spotted bass. The spots down here can almost be invasive in a lot of our our waters. Uh, More when you get down in those Alabama strand of spots in the state of Georgia, um, there's a lot of places where they'll encourage you to just get rid of the spots there because they, they will uh, over aggressively uh, hybridize and make those mean mouse. But uh, I would think that that just a hybridizing factor, uh, since you guys don't have spotted bass regularly up there, correct? Yeah. So I would think that that alone would uh, uh, 
play a big factor into what kind of like genealogy results you might find out from that. But I'd be, I should be curious to hear what, uh, whatever's found out. That sounds interesting to me. Yeah. It's a cool topic to kind of try and dive into mm-hmm. just because they, they look completely different. They, they their do. build is completely different, but it's cool. It's a cool kind of thing to dive into. Cause like, you know, there are a lot of people obviously talk about largemouth and Florida strain and how all of them different, differently, you know, how they act, you know, around the country. And it's, you know, you have great Lake smallmouth and TVA smallmouth and how they both set up on current. And then you have like a finger Lake smallmouth that is, pelagic like nine months out of the year mm-hmm. where it's like you can get on them really good for three months and then you're chasing them around like a chicken with a head cut off the rest of the year so it's it's kind of interesting to kind of look into that behavior quick question bailey have you ever noticed the size of the mouth difference between our finger lake smallmouth and the great lake smallmouth I could barely today. I had one that was four eight, and I could barely fit my thumb inside its mouth. It was so small, <laughs> dude. Like I don't. But now that you say it, though, not not really. I, I guess I, I mean I, there could be, but it's not really something I've actually kind of noticed for one or two, even uh, kind of looked into. Here's here's the big difference. Take the. The goby finger lakes, the finger lakes that have gobies in them, and the finger lakes that don't have gobies, and examine the difference between them. Oh, so, I bet. So look at, like, we'll call it the western finger lakes compared to the one big one that you fish and the couple big ones that have gobies in them, right? Those mm-hmm. gobies tend to be tall and wide and short, fat. And yeah, they're taller and wider than they are long. But when you get into the other ones that don't have the gobies, they're more alive and perch eaters. They tend to be longer, slender, bigger mouths. Like that's a very good point, Andrew. So if you were to put like a, like a Seneca or a Cayuga next to like a Canisius or an Awasco fish, they're going to be completely different genetic makeup. And I think there could be something to be said about different classes of fish now. Yeah, in certain lakes too. Because I think I've seen both on the on the same on the same fishery, or you catch them that are typically you have a specific presentation on bottom that have that genetic makeup that you just mentioned, and then you'll catch one in the summer, you know, schooling, and it has that longer body, bigger mouth. It's kind of, I'm gonna I'm gonna look back on my pictures now that we're talking about this after the show here and and take a and dive into that see if that maybe can that trend can be kind of put into a test. Yeah. Uh, that would be, be really cool. We need uh, more buddies that are wildlife officers that, like, know more of the details and answers to all these uh, thoughts yeah. and considerations. <laughs> well, I, even the same thing, like, on a pickwick event, right? So some of those pickwick, like, tail weight, Wilson tail weight, some of them are tall, fat, and wide. And then if they caught them downriver, they were longer and more slender and drawn out. And – why is that? Why do you have two different body shapes, smallmouth? Largemouth all pretty much look the same once they get to a certain size. So why do smallmouth take on different body characteristics? <laughs> bowling balls. <laughs> Not even football. Dude, they, bowling balls. <laughs> you can you can I know down here you can fish some giant baits for smallmouths and you and you're well within your right to do that and not risking like not getting that uh, smallmouth hooked up because their mouths can eat. My PB smallmouth come out of Pickwick um, on a nine-inch swim bait. Like 
you can throw the big stuff for them down here because they can they can eat it. They're used to eating those giant gizzard shad, you know, but they're not those little uh, goby morsels that are just pure fat and protein, you know, plump up for the winter time. It's a different thing. The for I'm sure the forage has a, a huge factor in, in uh, what we're talking about here. Yeah, and I don't think it even stops our fish up here. I, I know guys up here that throw big baits. Oh yeah, oh they yeah. Do on the same stuff. They're, they're not afraid. That's by any means, but they just eat. They like eating. They're like that kid that goes to McDonald's. They just can't get enough of anything. <laughs> yeah, I had I had that in common with the fish then. <laughs> well, dude, so I give an example of how smaller Great Lake mouth fish are. That's almost a four and a half pounder. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> like, that's wild, dude. Okay, well, let me let's let's pull up something real quick just to show people who are tuning in that are from the west or down south and haven't seen too many uh, northern fish. Let me give you guys an example here. Little bitty mouth. Yeah, and that was you can almost tell how long he was. Like that was a long yep. fish. Yep. Let me give you guys an example of <laughs> the genetic makeup of some of our northern fish here, real fast, and then we're obviously going to uh, move on to our next topic here. And then there's a six pounder. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's there's a genetic makeup for you of our northern fish where they are taller. Blimps. Than they're just blimps. They're swollen. <laughs> they they look like they have a health issue or something. They're so that is a big old female with a belly full of prime egg specimens in her right there. Yeah. And those are all just pure smallmouth too. You know, they're not hybridized at all. Those, I'm sure those got to be as pure as can be. Uh, right. well, and Here's a six pounder from the river and current. Real long. Yeah. Slender, but a bigger mouth on it. And I think that one might have been a perch cheater. So depend on depending on what they they have different genetic code on them. It's weird. Sure. Very okay. sure. Well, Adam, I wanted to bring up because I know that you're a guide as well. And I'm very curious. Uh one, what are you guiding from? Um, and I'm very curious about just to learn more about your guide business and kind of how you run that. Yeah, uh, I run a very haphazardly guide business is, is the answer to that. Um, when I when my service industry job uh, fell out from under my feet last year during COVID, uh, I knew I wanted I wanted to get a guide business started. I was just forced to start it, in my opinion, a little prematurely and earlier than I wanted to. I wanted to have all my ducks in a row a little bit better before I did it, but I was like, you know what? I don't have a choice. I just got to get going with this. And luckily it's been all good and I've had nothing but great clients and uh, successful trips. Um, but uh, the way I describe it to my clients is uh, I say, if we want to fish out of your bass boat, I'll hop on your, I only have a, a kayak. That's all I have. So mm -hmm. I'm like, if I want, if you want me to hop on your bass boat with you, I'll do that. Um, and if you, if you want to, if you want me to provide a kayak for you, I can do that bring your own kayak. Obviously we can do that too. Um, and I think the way I've advertised myself is that I'm like, if you want to learn just some bass fishing techniques, we can do it. If you want to catch fish that day, we can, if you want to learn how to catch fish for future outings, we can, if you want to just trophy chase, we can do that. I'll offer the big swim bait stuff too. I've enjoyed doing that over the years. So, uh, I've had a few clients want to do like just the big swim bait thing, which isn't quite as explored uh, in the Southeast here. Um, so I just kind of, you know, I, I really enjoy a dialogue with uh, potential clients and let and kind of feel out what it is they want to do. And luckily, everyone I've had so far, um, I've hit it off with well and 
whatever their goal was for that day or for our trip uh, has been a, a very uh, uh, feasible one and something that we can, you know, it, it's within our realm to accomplish whatever it is. And I've done everything that I just named off. We've done, I've, I'll do electronics trips. I popped on a guy's bass boat, dialed in his electronics, showed him how to use it. And then he'll text me next week and tell me that he won a tournament based off of what we learned uh, during our outing doing that. So it's a little bit of everything, but, but due to the fact that guiding is newer to me um, and that I, I did have to like jump into it earlier than I wanted to, I just made sure that any of my rates or, or costs were less than what you would have to pay for the same thing if you were to get some a more established guide or something like that. And the truth is my schedule has been so busy with tournaments that the guiding is just kind of supplementing the the days or weeks that I'm home when I'm not on the road fishing a tournament. And I've been able to fill in those gaps in my schedule with some guide trips uh, by doing that. So guiding, I don't think, at least not right now, perhaps later down the road, it may be the main thing. But uh, for now, it was just like, I need to get my feet wet and learn how to do it, learn uh, my strengths in doing it and, and kind of feel out what uh, the demand is from the clients. And I'm, I'm the son of two teachers. So instruction and dialogue and communication and installing confidence is something that I feel like I'm, I'm good at and I have those as strengths. Uh, and so I found the doing the guide thing to be uh, a pretty natural thing for me to hop into. And more than anything, I just enjoy it, man. Again, I'm so passionate about fishing that if I can share some knowledge, and I think we would all agree we're in a sport where so much of what we do is hand me down information or we all have our mentors, a handful of mentors and what we've learned or people that we can accredit, uh, you know, our, our knowledge base of fishing for. So uh, it's at the end of the day, just being able to share that that thing and watch someone get excited over a catch or have them text me a week or two later and be like, I caught a fish based on what we learned that day we went out. There's nothing better than that. And, and you know, you got, you know, Andrew or Bailey, if you guys do any guiding, like you, I'm sure you can attest the same thing. There's just nothing more rewarding. Uh, I am equally rewarding in catching a big fish myself as I am hearing from someone else saying that they were able to get a big bite or figure out something that was a, that light bulb going off for them too. So I, I just really enjoy it. Um, I kind of wish I had more time to do it and uh, maybe I will down the road, but uh, for now it's pretty busy on the tournament things, but yeah, the guide thing, I, it's, I, I feel kind of weird using that term, but so far it's been good. So I guess I'll hang on to it and keep doing it for now. Yeah. That's awesome. I like how creative you get with it though. You got like so many different avenues and Andrew, I know that's something that you're doing as well as the kind of like, do you have a technique you want to learn more about, you know, that, that sort of deal. And that's, that's pretty sick, and I think that's a, something that I didn't realize was in such a demand uh, as people that want to be taken out and learn something rather than seeing it on YouTube and then going and trying to do it themselves. It's kind of just accelerates that learning curve, which is honestly pretty smart on your guys' front. Yeah, l luckily I haven't had anyone that's like gung-ho on, oh, we got to catch a bunch of fish this day type of thing. I think there's way more to, to stand to benefit as a client, at least for a, a client that I would have, uh, I will be able to teach you more that's going to help you to catch fish in future outings than just trying to go out there and crush them that day. That's, that's, you gotta, that's a little more conditional type of thing. Now during the spring, I will offer like some lunker trips or I'm a big sight fisherman too. So 
Right now, I'm offering trips for sight fishing, or if anyone just wants to catch a PB or a fish of a lifetime, it's about the best time as you can ask for to do it the next few weeks. Uh, so that that's another route I'll go. But uh, yeah, I, I'd much rather instill some knowledge and confidence for future stuff than try to have a, a whale of a day out there. And every once in a while, you can have those big days and get do both in the same, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Is that what those fish are doing down there now? They're getting up and doing the dirty? Oh, yeah. They've been spawning for a little bit now. It's not our big, big wave. Uh, our next full moon, I think, is going to be the biggest wave, like, regionally, as far as a bunch of them going up. But I've caught a handful off of beds uh, so far. Just two days ago, myself and Russ Snyders were out there, and I think a good bit of the fish we were. I know, I know a good bit of the fish we were catching. We weren't sight fishing them, but... Um, you know, blind casting the stuff and you, you check out that tail, you see that bloody tail, you know what they're doing up there. But yeah, the temperatures are right. The moon phases are right. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty much going off. We have had the floodwaters here that are making it a little bit more challenging for the fish, but at the end of the day, they want to go up and do their thing. And so if you know where to look, you can go find them doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's really quick. So we had our Monday Night Live recently with Jeff Queen, um, and he's a Carolina guy. Um, very, very good sight fisherman, uh, regionally renowned for sight fishing. Um, and that was one of the questions we had for him. And obviously, being in the Carolinas, he doesn't have a lot of experience with fluctuating water, which is why I wanted to ask you, with you get a wave, right? Conditions are setting up right, temperatures, moon phase, time of year, fish are ready to, ready to go and get up and do their thing. They move up. You see these fish moving up, and overnight that those that water drops. What are you, what is kind of your adjustment there when you know that they are spawning? They want to spawn. They've already got the process of getting up shallow, making bed, and then the water drops. It's a common scenario we deal with down here, and uh, it, to me, I just kind of take a step back. I mean, it's the textbook thing. You just find the. The spot they pull back off to that it's it's probably the spot they stopped at on the way in and you just find that that spot or say if there was a bunch of shallow cover bushes or wood that had water on it the you know ideal spawning stuff and that water started to pull out well maybe those fish that were way back in that cover are now on the outside of that cover or they're on like the first bit of wood before it drops off into coverless featureless water or something like that they'll just pull back you just take a few steps back and it depends on what kind of body of water you're on but just back up a little bit whether it's a secondary point or maybe a secondary points uh, even too drastic it might just be a foot or two uh, uh past that so you mm -hmm. just kind of I, I like this time of year i like going all the way to the back or all the way to the shallowest stuff and then working my way back out from there to usually find them and sometimes you can find those stopping points where uh the you still got fish coming in and the ones that are going out are going to stop there too and uh anyone fishing the spawn or spring will tell you those are some of the best spots too so just take a step back and find their little stopping point that's kind of a vague answer but it, it varies fishery by fishery but it's the truth that's yeah. the textbook thing that's that's the way to do it yeah that makes sense i appreciate that andrew you got anything for adam before we start uh letting it rip with our last question here no i'm I just want to say thank you for taking the time tonight for telling everybody your story and us your story and give us a little bit of experience. I'm, I'm actually excited to watch where your guiding stuff goes. As I have my captain's license, so I'm going to be guiding this year on Lake Erie in the upper Niagara, Lake Ontario for some smallmouth and stuff. I get going here in about a week. Um, but that's awesome. Congrats on going back to work. 
And hope you win some nerves this summer. That'd be nice too. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, we'll see what we'll see what happens with the guiding thing. The way I kind of look at it is like, you know, if you're driving down the road and you're looking for a place to eat, and like you've got the familiar places that you know might be good, but every once in a while there's that hole in the wall spot that you're like, man, you just know from now on you got to if you try it out, like it was so good, it was, it was kind of a home run. I feel like I'm kind of that guy. I'm like, hey, if you just get a trip with me, I'll I'll deliver. But I understand I don't have like the the bells and whistles and the advertisement or the all all the the compilation of photos yet. So um, I think for now I'm happy to just focus on the tournament and still just getting better. I, I am always always trying to learn. That's that's a, a big thing. Anyone that's that's wanting to get better at fishing, you have to have a hunger to learn. Oh, yeah. um, with every single outing, you got to be willing to not throw the 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 baits that are in your comfort zone and just wanting to. Just be hungry to learn and, and find creative ways to learn and get on the water as much as possible. That's the biggest difference I see from guys that fish tournaments uh, that do well ver or, and do better over time versus the guys that uh, never quite seen the finish in the money. You just got, what's your hunger to learn? Do you want to be versatile? Do you want to expand your horizons and and throw those lures that are outside of your confidence zone? That's that's what I see the most. So. Yeah, we'll see what guiding happens, but I'm more than happy just to keep fishing and hopping in these derbies for now. But I appreciate that, Andrew. Heck yeah, no problem. Yeah, I think it's a great point real fast is if you want to see yourself on the top, you can't be a fair weather fisherman a three hours in the morning every couple of days or something kind of guy. You got to be the guy that's willing to go out no matter the conditions and put the work in. And so a lot of that time might not even be fishing. It might be. You'll, you'll see some of those guys that are naturals that you're like, what? You ain't even practice. You're just showing up and you're winning. You do see those guys every once in a while. Oh, but uh, you want to consistently yeah. be up there. Yeah. They do. They really do. They, and their, their instincts and their gut decisions are you, usually those guys that can just kind of wing it are the best, like, intuitive fishermen uh, mm -hmm. as opposed to the, the just a huge book of knowledge of it's blown south to today, eight to twelve. I'm gonna throw a spinnerbait just because of the wind in the clouds. <laughs> yeah. I'm flipping now, but that wind is starting to pick up. I should pick up a spinnerbait and they catch one first cast and I got new it. And then they just start jamming out. They're like, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so dude, I got two uh last questions for you here before we wrap things up. And uh getting off the, the guide topic here, I'm very curious if you have like a whether memorable in a good way or a bad way, like a crazy guide story that might come to mind. I'll talk ahead, man. I, I really enjoyed this one with a couple of guys that I did uh, recently on Del Hollow somewhat recently. They wanted some, uh, uh, I think the goal is to basically just to wrap their mind around some of their electronics on their kayaks. So it was myself and my kayak. And then these two individuals were in their own kayaks. And um, I knew this was over the winter. And wintertime on Del Hollow, you better uh, know how to do some vertical fishing. You know, probably a lot of what you guys do. It's basically ice fishing. Is you're just doing it when there's not ice in the water. Is how I look at it. But um, that that's an easy and fun lesson for me to show people. And anyone that hasn't done any video game fishing, uh, I think that that's a quick one to learn for the most part. You basically just got to keep your lure in that sonar cone, and the rest kind of like takes care of itself. But uh, so we did a long day and I was showing them different stuff. And in addition to the video game fishing thing. And then uh, once I believed that I conveyed the, the whole concept of the thing, we were able to go and practice it for a little bit. And so 
we're dropping on some arches on some fish and watching them come up and you know take a look at the lure is basically Demiki rig fishing and they would you know not have interest and go back down and then towards the end of the day we're messing with these fish that are, again are just coming up and looking at it and not wanting to do anything we'll watch it all happen on the graph and then uh and one of the good now that I remember this, one of the guys didn't have a graph on his boat. So I let him just get up right next to my Hobie and look at my screen, but he's dropping his lure in the, in the, in the sonar cone. And he just had a giant large mouth on, on the screen, come up, hit it. He got to watch the whole thing happen on the screen. And I got to watch his rod double over. It was a big one hooting and hollering. And so we got a big fish to end the day. And even that guy was just texting me today about um, how valuable that that day's lesson was, and uh, just the excitement that you can get off of seeing that, and uh, having having the whole lesson come to fruition. Like at the end of the day, like that, that one really stands out to me. And I just know the genuine excitement of uh, these these guys that I'm that I'm referring to that fish a lot of our, our local club stuff here too. They're really good guys, and so that one uh, definitely left a good memory with me. Just what. Uh, anytime you can have the concept happen that you're, you're one, that, that was the goal, you know, to watch those fish come up and eat. And even if we didn't have one eat, they at least were going to be able to take that lesson later, but we're, to get that big bite and actually watch it happen. And we didn't know if it was going to be a small mouth or a large mouth turned out to be a good large mouth. That was a really fun one. So that that's going to be my answer as far as a, a memorable outing with some clients. Sweet. That's pretty sick. Yeah. that, that That's got to feel really good, dude. Heck yeah. Well, our last question for you, and that's one we asked for everyone that's new to the show, is uh, if you could sit down, have a beer, have a steak with three different individuals, whether they were around a thousand years ago or they're still alive today, it does not matter. It doesn't even have to be the fishing industry. Meet anyone, anywhere, anytime. And we could even throw a wrinkle in here going forward and say maybe somebody in the future that could be like an up and coming star. And you know what? I've, I've heard you guys ask that question before, and it's, it provokes me to consider that too. And I don't think I ever actually came up with an answer. I can tell you this. All my answers are going to be like weirdos, like people that fascinate me are like the weirdos, the oddballs out there. So it's probably people that are probably not alive, really misunderstood or really like, I don't know, man. I, I, I like I, that. I was a, interesting. I, I, was in, I, was a, I was a musician in a, in a former life. And so there's a lot of like, oddball creative types that uh or you know weren't understood during their era but later on were recognized as geniuses and so you know after saying that let me think who it would be i'll throw it jimmy hendrix is one uh -huh. i gotta think that that guy's got to spout off some kind of good knowledge let's think of who else might be a fun one too um oh man what, what was the 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 crazy uh russian dude with the big beard that was like uh, uh, kind of a mystic um oh i'm blanking on his name right now and that's gonna bug me really bad yeah <laughs> just just some weirdos i can google russian uh, man beard that's mystic oh god it, it's bug it's bugging me so bad he was also known for some other stuff that's not really like podcast friendly to talk about um <laughs> oh god that, that rasp is it rasputin yeah rasputin I think Rasputin. I think that's who it is. Google that real quick and tell me if that comes out. I think that's correct. We'll say him, Hendrix. Grigory, Grigory Rasputin, Russian mystic and self-proclaimed holy man who befriended yeah. 
family of Nicholas II, the last emperor. Yeah. He's got a crazy story. And so I'm sure he's such a weirdo that he'd probably, uh, if we could get a translator, have something interesting to talk. Yeah, there we go. There he is. Yeah, how would you like to sit across the table from that guy for those of y'all being able to see the... the, the Look at this. The, the Look at that stare. Look at that stare. After this podcast, read up on that dude and tell me you wouldn't want to, like, with maybe a little bit of caution, learn more about that guy. Um, let's see. Let, let, let me think of a third one. That would be, oh, a, a third one? I'm a, I'm a big fan of comedy, too. So I'm going to say Bill Hicks. Bill Hicks is a, a kind of a comedic hero of mine, too. I know not a lot of people are going to know who that is, but... Uh, That'll just inspire them to go and watch a documentary. He's got a bunch of net Netflix stand-up specials. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's a good combination. Hendrix, Rasputin, Bill Hicks. They That'll be my trio of people. Taking a beer table. What did it say that again? That'd be an interesting steak and a beer like dinner date to sit down and talk to the, those four at the same time. Whew. Boy, I wouldn't want the conversation to end. I know there'd be a few beers uh, consumed and uh, all kinds of weird concepts thrown out there. Again, I, I fully acknowledge those are all weirdos and unique individuals, but I kind of think of myself as the same way sometimes. So why not have a conversation with a like-minded person, right? Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Hell yeah, dude. I like that. That's <laughs> That might be our most interesting three we've ever had on this show. Well, that, that's how I would want it. I don't want it to be yeah. a generic answer. That's boring. I love that, dude. Because, like, we get all the time, we either get Trump, KVD, or, like, I'm trying to think. Who's another popular answer that we get? That's boring. boring. What's his name? Elon Musk is a pretty Yeah, good we get Elon Musk a lot. That's boring. It. We all know plenty. These are all people that we know plenty about. We know too much about all these people. Why not have a conversation with someone that we or you know has a bunch of question marks behind their legacy? Those are the people you want to know, right? Yeah. Like I'd love to sit down with, like Steve Irwin and wonder what the hell he did when he wasn't like terrorizing. That's a good one. <laughs> when he wasn't trying to tackle alligators, what the hell did he do with his free time? <laughs> he would for sure have something interesting to offer to say. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Like, well, dude, in a boxing match with a kangaroo, like, <laughs> like, a, like a kangaroo jack scene when he like gets his, he gets knocked out by the kangaroo. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Endless stories if you're that guy, I'm sure. Oh, probably. <laughs> well, dude, Adam, we uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to to come on the show. Uh, at cheers to you, buddy, and uh, obviously we'd love to have you on uh, down the road. Hopefully, get a couple wins and uh, get you on to you how it goes and see what's going on with the guide business. But, dude, for real, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you all, man. Talking fishing uh, is something that I, that I enjoy and do on the reg. So happy to do it anytime. Absolutely. Yeah. Sounds good, dude. We will be in touch, and uh, take care, man. Adios. See ya. Good dude. dude. I, I think it was really intriguing to see the creativity of the guide business, different avenues. It could be some inspiration for you, dude. Some nine inch, ten inch swim baits on Lake Erie. Be wild. You, <laughs> do you I, think that, how long do you think it would take you to get bit on a nine or ten inch swim bait on Lake Erie? I don't think it would take too long. It's just getting them to eat it properly because those smallies get mad. They thump things for no reason. So I mean, I'm sure you can get them to hit it. It's just hooking them an entirely different equation. Was it Oliver Nye that caught like a six pounder on St. Clair on one? Because he was yeah. like musky fishing? Yeah. I want to say that's when it was. 
That'd be really intriguing. That'd be like a little video series of <laughs> how long does it take me to catch a smallmouth on a nine tenner swim bait on Lake Erie? Yeah, do why? That would be yeah. Stuff that you probably just yeah. You know what would happen, right? So you throw this nine and ten inch swim bait for like a week straight, you'll catch five musky and a ten inch smallmouth. Yeah, you catch this tiny as well. So mad that it's like, what is this thing? Is hooking it in the eye or something here? Feel really bad, right? Yeah, dude. So obviously, we have a bunch of kayakers that uh, are on the show as well. We like to mix things up on this show. We like to have a mix of everybody in fishing because that's just what we love to do. do you ever think, and this is, a, this is an idea, actually Destin and I were on the phone talking about this video idea here, but do you think you would ever try fishing from a kayak? Absolutely. Yeah? Okay, because I have a video idea that uh, Destin and I want to do, and we could totally do one uh, as well together, you and I, is you do, one guy has an hour on the boat on the troll motor, the other guy's in the kayak, and then you flip-flop. So it's a one v one. One guy gets the boat for an hour or two, and then the other guy gets the kayak. It'd be fun. I think I would do that. You, would you trust me in your boat? Yeah, you <laughs> get started and drive. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I would let you if you knew how. So it's it's kind of like a fun little thing to think about, which is kind of cool. It adds a little factor to it, but. I told Destin I was going to take his Dura-Edge boat and run around the lake and make people think I'm a pro. <laughs> yeah, so like, no. Isn't that guy in the Elite Series is doing circles in the middle of the lake? Turning <laughs> like towers of water up because you trimmed it all the way up. Why <laughs> Look at that guy rooster tail. And now like, what an idiot. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Get the gas and the nose goes straight up, and you're shooting a rooster tail because you're trimmed all the way up. Yeah, that'd yeah. be <laughs> probably. <laughs> but for real, uh, really good show tonight, guys. Uh, thank you again to Adam for coming on. A lot of good knowledge dropped in this episode here tonight. Okay. Um, so guys, tune in. Uh, we appreciate it as always. Um, Andrew, anything left for the folks before we tune out tonight? If you're listening this far in, Get a hold of me. Let's get you on the water because I have very few dates left. And there's a $100 gift card up for grabs for big fish of the year. So the season's going. We're starting. I have trips starting the 17th. And I'm pretty much booked through July with like four or five days open. So let me know. Let's go. Heck, yeah. I think to add on that real quick before we sign off, if you guys are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please go down and leave us a rating and review. We highly appreciate it. Like, again, like we mentioned before, it helps us get noticed more and helps us make better episodes for you guys. So, Absolutely. And always suggestions and feedback. Always. Yeah. Guest suggestions, topics, all of the above. We appreciate it nonetheless. But as always, folks, we appreciate you guys tuning in. We will see you guys on Monday.